As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. Welcome to CFRU 93.3 FM. This is Android's Dungeon Pandemic Edition, a quarterly episode, since apparently we are only capable of recording shows of this quality at, uh, you know, random intervals, because do you understand how difficult it is to produce a show this good? so consistently when the world appears to be melting down in more than one way. Anyway, I am your host, Jack, and I am joined by no one at the moment. Uh, but don't worry about that. Don't sweat it. It won't be me talking the whole time. I've got a little bit extra music uh, lined up for us today. Uh, but in the meantime, I just want to send out my heartfelt uh, apologies to any of our dedicated listeners, if any remain, that uh, we haven't been producing more content lately. Hopefully that will change. I think we've got a, a fantastic lineup and we've got great stuff on the horizon. And hopefully, in general, everyone's, uh, you know, we're getting into fall. It's getting cozier. It's not as sweaty and gross being sitting around, sitting around inside uh, uh, or, I guess, outside uh, would be ideal. Uh, and uh, it's not going to be as obnoxious to get a game out and play it with some people, hopefully people very close to you, <laughs> not doing too many random meetups uh, at different people's houses, although, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe you are doing that, maybe you're you're playing uh, Civ in real life and pass around that epidemic card, but uh, anyway, we can get into that later. Anyway, uh, Android's Dungeon is a show about games, particularly board games, for people who play games, and uh, I like to start off every episode by asking, what have you been playing recently? But since there's no one here to ask me that, I'm just going to do it myself. What have you been playing recently, Jack? Thank you for asking, Jack. It's been a wild little bit here. And generally speaking, I would have thought that, you know, during a pandemic when people are stuck inside or in close quarters, maybe this would be a time to, you know, start picking up on uh, more board games, right? Like you're stuck with... Uh, your your wife or your girlfriend or your uh, that that crazy homeless man that uh, had moved in and can't leave and won't leave and climbs out of the ceiling every night to steal your food and pee in your sink and it's time to get closer to these people and what better way than playing board games? I think in general people have been playing more board games. But I think they've been online or in digital versions uh, because people are looking for easy to understand, easy to grasp, which is kind of ironic, but uh, games that aren't necessarily just, you know, video games because there's a big difference. And sometimes board games forget what they are and try to be a computer game. And sometimes computer games try to be a board game too much and they don't really stick the landing on that either. But uh, generally speaking, I think in one of our last shows, we were talking about the different methods of playing board games online. Stuff like, uh, 
board game arena, board game core, uh, tabletopia, uh, Yucata. That the there there are actually a fair amount of sites that are doing this, and not to mention there are the official adaptations through uh, that you can buy via the uh, various application stores or uh, on Steam or whatever. And then there are the then there's Tabletop Simulator, of course, which is kind of this behemoth of uh, gray area board gaming online that for some people really scratches the itch. For others like myself, I find it's at best it does the job and at worst I think it actually hurts the reputation of a game because it's just sort of an inferior experience in many ways. And that's assuming it's a, a good port or a good module versus something that's kind of slapped together and you know just doesn't feel like it's doing the game justice which kind of makes you wonder at the end of the day like what's even the point if you're playing a game like this but anyway i've gotten off track here uh so the most recent game i've played is a little ditty that i've talked about before on the show and it's one of my i'd say if i had to pick one of my favorite games out there it's an easy top 10 contender and that is food chain magnet by Splatter Spelen, Splatter Games from the Netherlands. Food Chain Magnate is m- maybe one of the most interesting economic games I think you'll ever get to play. And it's this wonderful hybrid of, I, I would argue it's deck building, um, but you could, you could, I don't know, I could hear other people describing it differently. Uh, but deck building mixed with a bit of area control and uh, business management, essentially. And for those who don't know, Food Chain Magnet came out, jeez, uh, what year? Like 2014? 2015? And revolves around you taking on the role of an owner of a fast food franchise. And actually, it doesn't even have to be a fast food franchise, but just like, let's say, a, a restaurant uh, that uh, isn't exactly white tablecloth, and the era is wonderfully positioned uh, to be like the uh, the fifties or the early sixties. And uh, what you're trying to do is you're trying to be the person with the most money at the end of the game when the bank breaks, and the bank's going to break twice. And I'll get into that in a second. Um, uh, but what happens is you have, based on player count, it scales up to five, I believe. You have these lovely uh, grids. Basically, rectangular or uh, square pieces that have a bunch of little squares on them that represent roads and houses, and there are these little drink icons on them. And what you do is you, based on the number of players, you shuffle these all up and line them out. And so, in a two-player game, it's a three by three, and it goes uh, gets larger and larger based on the player count. And then what you do is you position one of your restaurants down on the board, and you go from there. And what you're trying to do is every round, you get the higher one person minimum, which means you go to this stack of different occupations and you have to pick one from the entry level. So they're all the lowest quality uh, and quality might be subjective, but they're, they're all the lowest in terms of um, capability of these different people. So one of these people, for example, is a recruiting girl, which lets you hire an extra person or a trainer, which allows you to improve one of the people you've got working for you or a marketer which allows you to market the goods you want to sell and uh, and so on. There's a bunch of other ones. I'm not going to go into it too deeply. So anyway, what you do is you hire these people and then you create a company structure and you're basically building a miniature corporate structure on this uh, for this company of yours. 
and you're always the CEO and you're always there. And beneath you, you can have uh, three manager, managers and it goes up to four, I believe, after the bank breaks. And, uh, and you just go from there. So you try to build up your organization based on what you think you're going to do. And the game is ruthless in the sense that theoretically you can lose turn one. And by that I mean if you put your starting restaurant in a bad place, like so I guess it's even before the game formally begins, you could argue, but if you put your restaurant in a bad place, it can be game over right away. So the game's not holding your hand like that. There's no predetermined starting spaces. Secondly, theoretically, you can also lose with your first buy or your first hire, excuse me, because if you hire the wrong person at the very beginning, you're going to be locked out of some opportunities while your opponents blast ahead. And the way you get locked out is the game has this incredible little system called milestones. And they're basically achievements for accomplishing certain tasks in the game. And these achievements are extremely powerful and generally guide you in a direction of gameplay. So for example, if you are the first person to hire three people in a turn, which requires you to have hired uh, two recruiting girls, and using all three actions to hire more people, which you should be doing anyway. If you do that, you are given two free management trainees as part of a bonus for that turn. And how the milestones work is that everyone who accomplishes this milestone on that turn has access to it, which means that if everyone did the same thing on the same turn, everyone can get that achievement. You're, there's no limit. But if you try to do it on a later turn, tough luck. The achievement's gone. It has to be accomplished that turn. Uh, so similarly, if let's say you're the first person to train someone, you get a discount on salaries. So you always get $15 off on salaries, which is extremely powerful because people cost money. Everyone of a cert with a little stack of cash in the bottom of their card means they're going to cost you five bucks every turn, which doesn't sound like a lot of money, but at the beginning, it can be crippling because you don't have any money. So if you've accidentally trained up somebody you can't afford, you have to fire them, uh, which is one of those amazing little jokes in this game, which is a fairly cynical game, too, when you get down to it. But if you can't afford to pay somebody, you just fire them, and then, <laughs> then their money, you know, their requirements just go away. So something else that's important. So you've got the milestones, you've got the proper hires. Um, you've also got this thing in the game where everyone secretly chooses extra money to go into the bank and that's the reserve cards so everyone chooses at the beginning of the game to either put 100 200 or 300 dollars extra cash into the bank when it breaks and the bank breaks very easily at the beginning uh, i forget if it scales on player account but i think it's only 200 bucks initially in the bank and then as soon as it breaks everyone flips over the reserve card and you throw in that much extra money back into the bank so some strategies revolve around you going quickly and trying to make as much money as possible, as quickly as possible, and hoping to end the game before other people do, uh, get their engine going better than yours. Or conversely, you are trying to go for a slow burn and that people are going to make more money than you initially, but you're going to be able to you know, outrace them, out, uh, outlast them in this game. And if you do that, you're going to want higher uh, reserve cards in there. So anyway, that's food chain in a nutshell. It's very ruthless. Um, in order to sell food to someone else, it, it's always distance and price. And you can spend your entire, a couple turns just setting up and getting ready to sell pizzas and marketing them to the right houses because people will never buy anything unless they're marketed, uh, only to have your opponent sell it for a couple bucks less uh, 
and people just go to them instead because price is <laughs> price is god in the world of food chain magnet so anyway we played a a game of that on board game core the other night and board game core is one of these things that i mentioned earlier that one of these online implementations uh, of board games and there are only four games on there right now uh food chain antiquity great zimbabwe and virsen volk virsen volk um and the website started off as i think just a way to play antiquity online which uh, so zimbabwe antiquity and uh, magnate are all splatter games and splatter is kind of a reputation in the industry of being sort of these gods. They designed these incredibly tight little games that are, I don't want to call them niche games, but let's just say that you're not walking into uh, Chapters or Indigo and seeing a copy of Food Chain Magnet there, even though I'm positive if a place like that sold them, uh, people would love it. As complicated as it is, it's a fairly simple game at its core, which you're going to hear that theme a fair bit as we go on here. But anyway... Um, so we played it on Board Game Core, and Board Game Core does this fantastic job of automating a lot of this annoying part of the game, which is the administration and figuring out the actual distances and who is the lowest price. Uh, so it takes a lot of the bookkeeping, if not all of the bookkeeping, off your shoulders. And that allows you, if you know what you're doing and playing with somebody who knows what they're doing, you could go through a game of Food Chain, which I think if you look at the box, it says like two hours a game. Um, but I'd have to turn around and look, and I'm not doing that right now. To If you know what you're doing, you could probably crank out a game in half an hour. So I'll get to that in a moment, but the game we played, I think, lasted from... We started at 4 o'clock, and we probably got going proper 4.30, and we finished it probably around 9 o'clock. So three and a half hours for four people. Four people? One, two, three. Yeah, it was four of us. And... Um, I had a great time again. So it's been a while for me since I played Food Chain and we were playing with, uh, everyone's played it before, some people more recently than others. Um, and I started off very strongly. I was pretty happy with myself. I was making good money initially and I went with a trainer start. So generally speaking in base Food Chain, because the expansions come out and it's opened up plenty, uh, there, so there are more openings now, let's just say that. Um, but you have two openings, trainer or recruiting girl. Everything else is kind of a, a bit of a death trap or you really have to know what you're doing. I have a tricky style to get out of it. So I started off with the trainer and I got my salary discount and I started selling and I was able to do some luxury marketing, which means I made my stuff more expensive than normal because nobody else could sell it. And I was able to grab a bunch of cash that turn and I was able to hit the $100 milestone pretty easily. And I was sitting there with a free CFO bonus, which adds 50% to all your profits. As, uh, from then onward, which is an incredible bonus. Um, but I started petering out at the end, and I just couldn't tech up fast enough, and I was, wasn't was anticipating other people's uh, tricks. And I ended up getting outmaneuvered by another fellow who went with a heavy drink strategy. And drinks are a very neat concept in the game that it's not a good that you can make as necessarily as easily as stuff like pizza or burgers, which are your two main items, because uh, you need to send out somebody to go grab the drinks from these locations, which is kind of an odd twist. But because there are three types of drinks, if you can market them properly, you can outmaneuver your opponents by just throwing random drinks that they don't have access to 
And the way the game works is that for, let's say a house wants pizza, uh, beer, and uh, a lemonade, you have to fulfill every aspect of that order. So you have to be able to sell them pizza, beer, and a lemonade, or else you sell nothing to that house. The house will only only go to someone who is selling them everything that their demand is. So if you've managed to set it up properly where you're able to get every type of drink, which is reasonably easy um, with the proper setup, you can market the any type of drink to different people and have them kind of scrambling to pay catch up, play catch up. And that's the real tricky part of the game is you never want to be playing catch up. You want to be forcing other people to respond to you and chase whatever you're getting up to. And similar to some other games, it starts off slow. And if you make like 20 bucks, $45, you're like, oh, that's exciting. Uh, but by the end, people it's not uncommon to see people making $100, $150 a turn, especially as more houses come out. And if a house has a garden on it, suddenly the profits are doubled. So there are a lot of different ways to sort of move onward in the game. And unfortunately, I stalled out. I came second, and I was pretty happy with myself. But uh, I think I could have played better and really just sealed the deal. Anyway, I recently played another two games of it tonight. And again, I had a blast. So this was two-player tonight. And what was special was that... It was with uh, someone who hasn't played the game in a, a little while, but she knows it enough to, like, it's like riding a bike for her. And the first game was a bit of a blowout, and there were some issues with it, and there's no undo function on Board Game Core, which is kind of frustrating for some people, including myself, because if you make a basic mistake and you can't go back and say, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry, or if everyone agrees, okay, let's go back and we'll just change that. There's no no undos. You get one shot, one opportunity. Um, so the first game was a blowout. The second game, I was behind for most of it. And we had both used high reserve cards. So it worked out for me because I had the time to tech up. And I think by the end, I just started to outproduce and outproduce. And uh, she got caught not being able to sell uh, some drinks. Again, drinks being the, the Achilles heel of many people to these customers. And I just had some two massive turns and just ended it right then and there. So um, either way, Food Chain Magnate, incredible experience and not that complicated. It, it looks scary. And the rule book, I can't remember if the rule book is any good or not. Splatter's rule books are, I, I think, a little inconsistent. Sometimes they can be great. Sometimes they're, it just feels like they're lacking. And to be honest, there's only two, like the, there are only a couple of confusing parts in the game, which is how some of the marketers interact, specifically the mailbox campaigns. I think they could have explained that a little bit better. And also how the uh, uh, cart operator grabs drinks. I think that one is a little weird. But when you look at the board game core implementation of it, you can see how well they've done to just streamline the process and really make it clear what's going on and why it's doing that. So I cannot recommend it enough. It's totally free. I should have almost led with that when I'm bearing the lead on this because some people are thinking, well, Jack, this sounds too good. What's it going to cost me? No, no, free. Absolutely free. You have to know what you're doing, though. There's no AI, and it's possible for you and another person just try it blind, which, you know what? If, you've, if this sounds remotely interesting to you, give it a shot. And... Uh, just you can get a PDF of the rules and you can just kind of fumble through it. It's not going to be easy, but it's better than nothing. So give it a shot. Food Chain Magnet from Splatter Games, Splatter Spellen, Spielen. Um, 
on Board Game Core. If you just uh, throw that in your search engine, build an account, and you're good to go. And you can also play some other games there, too. So we're going to take a break. going to play some music. I'll be back in a second. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just heard was Bella Lugosi's Dead by uh, Paladine, who is, you know what, they, they've they really skyrocketed up as far as uh, one of my favorite groups to uh, listen to. They've just got this incredible little thing going on about death country, death folk. I forget what the actual uh, description is, but uh, outstanding stuff. Anyway, that was their cover of the legendary Bella G- Lugosi's Dead, of course, by Bauhaus, Bauhaus, whatever you want to pronounce it. Uh, Gen- you know what? <laughs> that song is just, what an evergreen. One of the gothiest songs you'll ever hear, but nobody ever plays it anymore. You never hear it anymore. I don't know why. It's just fantastic. And uh, the music video is genuinely creepy, too, with, uh, I think it's Peter Murphy on the uh, this like slab of rock and like, kind of like he swings upwards and dust flies off. He's all painted white, and it's got that grainy, awful-looking 80s, uh, you know, like uh, low-quality camera going, but it adds the mystique to the horror. Genuinely spooky, I think. Um, Anyway, Paladine, Bella Lugosi's Dead, great band. And I think if you're interested in uh, sort of, I don't know if alt-folk is a good way to describe some of their stuff too, then definitely look them out or check them out. So, before the musical break, we were talking about Food Chain Magnate, which is, uh, people will describe it as a very heavy game. I disagree. I think there's a lot going on, but I don't consider it heavy, at, at least that at my point in my uh, sort of gaming hobby, that something like Food Chain, it isn't that bad. It really honestly isn't. Another game that we have talked about before on this show a little bit is Mega Civ or Civilization, Advanced Civ, so on, so on, so on. I got to play a seven-person game of this, uh, and before people freak out, it was in the backyard, calm down, everyone I knew, nobody got sick that I'm aware of, <laughs> and uh, of the people playing, I'm trying to think if, I think I was the only one who's played more than once of that whole bunch, and there were three people who had never played before. So that was an interesting experience right off the get-go, or right from the get-go, because uh, teaching Megasiv or Civilization is not that difficult, but there's just a bunch of little things that you're always kind of going, oh yeah, and I forgot about that, and oh yeah, this thing here. I need to come up with a better sort of like flow chart of explaining how to play the game. I'm do- I was doing my best there. It helps when you got two people uh, in general who... Uh, know what they're doing to kind of play uh, I don't say good cop, bad cop, but good cop, good cop with the uh, teaching process. So anyway, I got off to kind of a rough start to begin with with the uh, with the game because I was trying to do this thing that I've, I've kind of switched, I'm, I'm kind of in favor of now, which is if anyone who knows the game, and if you've listened to the show enough, you know it, but the bottom line is it's uh, you're, you're moving these tokens around on the map and you're trying to build cities and for every city you get a trade good and you're trying to get sets of these trade goods, and you get these sets by trading with other people, and if you finish trading, it's possible you may have gotten some lemons and been lied to by people you were trading with, and you could end up with terrible, terrible things happening to you, and then you resolve these terrible things, and maybe somebody gives secondary effects of these terrible things to you, and then you buy these techs. And the techs, I think there are 51 techs techs in... uh, in Megasiv, and what people have started doing that I think is smart is just everyone having their own deck of the text to sort through. And what I used to do, because that's what 
um, the first time I ever played Advancive we did was that all the techs are lined up in the back. And with Advancive, there aren't as many to worry about, so it's not as big a deal. Um, but with Megasiv, it's when you've got 51 separate decks to go through, it can be very, um, you know, <laughs> overwhelming. And especially setting it up, you need a lot of space. Versus if everyone just has a small deck of cards, they can kind of sift through. Not only is it easier to set up, but it's also easier for people who don't know the game, or even someone like myself who knows the game reasonably well, but you, you sometimes forget about certain uh, advances, certain technological advances. So it's easier for you just to look through a personal deck of cards and not feel like you're constantly going up to stare at things, or if it's awkward, like sliding out from behind a table to get there. Anyway, so like I was saying, it was a seven-player game of Civ, and three newbies, and... Uh, three people who have played before, but it's been a while and they don't necessarily remember the game. And so big deal. So I was kind of running this thing. And it's a lot of work running the game with total newbies because there's a fair amount of administration. There's uh, a census, which is basically asking people to tell you how many chits they have on the board. And so you have to ask everyone... How many chits you got? How many chits you got? And everyone's either doing math on the board or looking what's on their t uh, on their player card and doing some subtractions. Um, and then everyone does that, and you go in order, and hopefully you can get people's attention. And you don't want to be that ogre if people are laughing and having a good time and chatting, being like, "Hey, shut up! Give me the number so we can keep playing this game and stop having fun." So you do that. Then there's the trade goods you got to set up, which are the these uh, goods that are mixed in the piles based on how many cities you have. So you have to shuffle them up and you have to make sure they're layered properly. So that's a fair amount of work doing that. And then when people hand them back to you, you got to reshuffle them in a proper order as well. And uh, then there's also you have to do the AST, which is do you qualify to move up? And the AST is kind of like the victory point track, as in uh, if you meet the qualifications for this age you keep your chip moving to the right and if you don't it stays where it is and if you have no cities you go backwards which is it's happened to me before and uh, unfortunately for one of our players it happened in very very dramatic fashion but uh, i'll get to that in a second so all i'm trying to say is it is a fair amount of work and you do miss having somebody who knows what they're doing to do like the trade goods or the census while you're doing other stuff because it's especially when you're answering questions and trying to keep the game going so um so we were playing through the game and i was playing as manoa and Manoa is the island nation that uh, I've, I have, it's been a long time. I don't know if I've ever played as Manoa, to be honest, because my issue is it's not that Manoa is difficult to play. Because honestly, I think it's, they're one of the easier ones when you know uh, what you're doing and how to play it properly. Uh, you can be ruthlessly shut down if uh, you're playing against some very tough opponents, but you know, that, that's the same for anything. Uh, but my issue with Manoa is that with, Every version of Civ that I can think of, there is this issue with uh, form over function with regards to the map. And there are so many little islands in the Mediterranean that you have chits that are basically covering the entire space. And it's difficult to tell what the population count is there or if it's a city spot. And God help you if you've got boats there, which you're going to have, and or if you're invading or, or being invaded, or if there's multiple things going on. All I'm trying to say is it can get very chaotic because the spaces are so small and they're designed to reflect the reality of the geography of the area versus the functional aspect of how 
you're playing a game and you need to be able to see information and be able to move things easily. So Manoa is not difficult to play uh, because of the game or because of the, the faction. They're difficult to play because the designers, I think, honestly screwed up the map design and made it too difficult to actually move the chits like you want it to. I think we've talked about this before. I don't want to dwell on it too long. It's just annoying. So anyway, I was Manoa and everyone else was around there. and We closed off some spots on the map as we're supposed to. And everyone was doing pretty well. Um, at one point, one of the players um, stopped deliberately trading with people uh, because she didn't want to get any calamities. And I think it took her a round or two to realize that she wasn't going anywhere fast because of this. And that was something interesting to see because I've never seen anyone just shut down trading entirely just to avoid calamities, at least not unless they already had a good thing going. But in her case, she wasn't really going anywhere. She just didn't want to go backwards. And it uh, took her seeing people eating calamities but trading in big sets to think, oh, maybe I'm not doing this right. So speaking of calamities, uh, our one player who had played in the 18-player game, so he's a veteran of arguably the biggest game of Civ we've ever played, his game was, he was doing pretty well, and he made a couple of mistakes, same with uh, his wife, that of uh, building too early a city. And I feel like I should have warned against them. And I, I'm pretty sure I actually did say you don't want to build c cities too quickly because it kind of hampers your growth. Um, but unfortunately, they did it anyway. And so his population was very low because he had been making cities and he'd also been hit by a couple calamities. But then he got double whammied with some calamities. I forget what it was. I don't know if it was an earthquake or a volcano or something. So he basically went from having, I don't know, like three cities to being down to... Uh, no cities and a couple people on the map and then his next calamity was an epidemic and the epidemic does 15 damage to you and it just wiped him off the map something i've never seen happen in conjunction to something else before so he was gone and i couldn't believe it and i was very disappointed because nothing sucks more than being knocked out of a game and at least Civ doesn't permanently knock you out because there is a mechanic to bring a player back which is if there's a civil war or I believe barbarians even, it'll work for them too. Um, but if there's a civil war, what happens is you have to uh, basically uh, add up 35 points of tokens on your map and everything else uh, becomes the opposing faction. So he was able to, uh, a turn after getting wiped out, not that turn, uh, hop back in the game when Kayla was hit with the civil war. But by then it was too late. And uh, I should give you a heads up, too, that we ended the game fairly early. I think we only got five hours of gameplay in, which is very low for the game. And I think people wanted more. And that's kind of a cool feeling to get, is that people were sitting there going, oh, oh, I wish I could have played some more. I was just gearing up. Or all this stuff. I didn't get a chance to really take advantage of this, but I'm looking forward to doing it again next time, which is fantastic. That's if, When you play games or introduce games to other people, especially heavier games like this, it's one of the greatest feelings in the world is hearing somebody say, oh, I want, I wish I could play it again, or I want to play it again, or I wish I would do this, could have done that differently. So anyway, we called it early, and um, I think it was a good thing to do because um, it, it kept people on the edge of their seats. So now they're they're waiting for the good stuff to come up later. So hopefully I can, we can get them in again. I know at least one person would definitely play again, and... Uh, That'll be an interesting experience because I think um, it was a fairly kids' glove experience, even though there was a little bit of fighting. But in general, it was um, something that was a fairly friendly game. That was you're more worried about uh, calamities than your neighbor. When 
I think <laughs> the way our game's been going, the higher up you go, the more insane it gets. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see about that. Um, so that was Mega Civ. And I think I'm going to take another musical break after this. And I'll be back in a moment. Stay tuned. Thank you. 
Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just heard was Tower of the Goblin Wizards by Grohl the Goblin off the album Return to the Dungeon. <laughs> the 2020 album <laughs> Return to the Dungeon. <laughs> uh, shout out to Mark Hines for uh, tipping me off to this album, but also for the fantastic YouTube page uh, Dungeon synth archives or what's it uh give me a second here uh dungeon synth archives uh search that on youtube it's got fifty-two thousand subscribers which uh, is barely a drop in the bucket compared to what some of these people on youtube have but this guy is doing this guy's doing god's work online and um i've found more dungeon synth synth from uh, this channel than anywhere else and frankly for those who don't know dungeon synth is one of these bizarre little subgenres of electronic music that's a mashup of uh, obviously synth synthesizers but it creates this uh it's very evocative typically a mix between dark ambient medieval uh and um just ambient in general sounds that to create a world that is was probably influenced primarily by video games but um, 80s films, 70s films of uh, the sword and sorcery fantasy style stuff and um, these these very strange places that uh, when you listen to the music of some of these artists that it's definitely designed to take you to places and I, I'm the first to admit that a lot of the music kind of sounds the same but once you fall into this hole unlike some other genres that uh, I'm more than willing to accept that a lot of them sound are, are very difficult to tell the difference between um, there are many, many different artists here that have their own unique sound. And what's kind of cool is that you actually start to really pay attention to the subgenres of it, uh, of Dungeon Synth. So it's, it's enough, not enough just to call it Dungeon Synth. Then there's different variations on it. And it becomes kind of important because you start, um, I, I'm not as, I'm not as much a fan of the, uh, let's just say the medieval Dungeon Synth or whatever. But then there's the other stuff like, oh, this is, um, <laughs> not even dungeon synth but it'd be like uh synth of uh ancient feudal japan or something along those lines so fun stuff and if you like dungeons and dragons and you like running campaigns of stuff like that dungeon synth is your friend you will just like you should look at the uh, the look in people's on people's faces when you play this stuff because anyone who knows will suddenly be like just taken to another world when you play this so anyway grow the goblin return to the dungeon uh, the track was Tower of the Goblin Wizards. So before we left, we are talking about Megasiv. Now that we're back, I'm going to finish off the extravaganza of uh, quote-unquote big games with the the other game that people like to think is very big, and it isn't. It's actually very simple. It's long. Just because it's long doesn't mean it's a big game. Just because it's long doesn't mean it's complicated. Um, but that game is something we've talked about a little bit on the show, I believe, and that is 1830. Since, uh, I, I believe the last time we recorded, um, I'm not quite sure if I talked about it, so I'm just going to pretend we didn't, or I haven't had a chance to, which is most likely, but 1830 is uh, the second game, I believe, in the 18xx series, uh, as designed by Francis Tresham, who also designed the original Civ back in the early 80s. I think 1830 came out in the late 80s, uh, maybe early 90s, I could be wrong, and it is all about building a uh, and running railroad companies in the 19th century and 
like many games of this type, it is a very mechanically very, very simple, uh, strategically extremely deep. And there's a lot of player interaction, not necessarily direct. It's it's not like Civ where I can uh, <laughs> I can drive my train up to your doorstep and just run you over or something like that. Uh, but it's all passive aggressive market shenanigans and uh, screwing you over with building rails that cut you off or building a railhead, which is basically a station somewhere that cuts you off again. And 1830 is entirely of about shenanigans involving the stock market and these rail lines and these railroads and it is one of the greatest games i think i've ever played hands down 18 the 18xx series is something that i wish i had known somebody who knew how to play them but earlier in my life because i think if it's one of those games that if you had learned back when you're getting into the hobby or even around the time that you you realize you're really into this and you but you you're looking for something with a lot more strategy or depth then you'd be like a, a pig in mud. Um, the only issue is that the game is long, um, which is the same thing with Civ. But uh, just like unlike Civ, the last couple rounds are can be a little pre-programmed. And people have deliberately designed Excel spreadsheets to just kind of, after X round, to just kind of calculate out who's going to make what, assuming that nothing really changes and nobody makes more money. Um and so you can kind of almost automate uh, automate it a little bit at the end, which takes a bit out of it. But like Food Chain, things <clears throat> excuse me, start off small. You're happy making a bit of cash here and there. But by the end, you're raking in tons. And the magic of 1830 is that there are two, uh, there are two things to keep in mind. Or there's one big thing to keep in mind is, is that your money and your company money is always kept separate company treasury is used for everything what the company does but if the company's broke you're on the hook to spend your own money and what you're trying to do is every company has uh, a stock price and when you run these companies you have the option to uh, pay out dividends or withhold and if you pay out dividends your company stock goes up and you withhold the company stock goes down if you pay out dividends everyone who owns shares in the company makes money if you withhold it, all the money that would have been paid out stays in the company treasury. And this is important because uh, as a shareholder, you want that stock to go up. Because obviously for every share that you have in that company, that's what it's worth. And at the end of the game, you cash out the shares. Or more likely, depending on what stage of the game is, you hold on to those shares for a little bit. And then you sell them quickly and you use that money to uh, start up another company on your own. And what happens is for every share that's sold, the stock price of a company drops. And this can be terrifying if the turn order sets it up that the person ahead of you is going to dump a company, which means they're going to sell all the stock out of it, and they're going to tank the stock uh, price and leave you holding the bag of a company that whose stock has been devastated. And even worse is that, of course, you're trying to use these. The only way to make money is by running trains. And what happens is, is that as the game goes on, People buy up trains, and there's a limited amount of them, but trains don't last forever. There's this obsolescence built into them, so the most basic train you have can only go to two stops, and those two trains last until people buy a four train, and the three trains last until somebody buys a five train, and the five trains are permanent. That means that they never go away. Then there are sixes, and then there are diesels, 
and uh, the diesels have unlimited amount of runs. But there's this very tense game of how long do I hold on to a company? And what happens too is that you have these privates that you buy. And these private companies are little things that generate a tiny bit of cash every turn. But you bid on them because they have special powers. And they also provide this income that I was telling you about. So it help you get a bit of capital at the start of the game. But what you do with these private companies is you can sell them to the publics. And the publics are those companies I was referring to at the beginning of the game. And when you sell the private to the public, you're allowed to basically sell it for twice what you paid for it. And this is, in a sense, you're kind of looting the public company. But as long as you're the boss of it, which means you have the majority shares, you make all the decisions in the company. And the cool thing, too, is that if you own two companies, then you can play around with both companies' treasury. And you can't just, like, give money to another company or vice versa, but you can sell them a train for way more than it's worth, or you can sell them a train for a dollar and keep tons of money in both companies and keep them both profitable and happy as well. The thing is, is that if there's a company that doesn't have a lot of money because its treasury has been looted between buying trains and also buying up these private companies and a train is about to go obsolete or rust as they call it in the game, and it can't afford to buy one, if you act before someone else, you can dump all your shares in this company, following a couple of rules I won't get into, and leave the person holding the next highest amount of shares, which is minimum two. If everyone's holding one share, you can't dump a company on them. But if they own two shares, you could give this worthless, bankrupt company to the player who's holding those shares and force them to sort of start making decisions for them on this company. And that's where things get really interesting and you can start to see people sweating when they realize, uh-oh, uh, Jack's holding this dog of a company and he's going to dump it. And he's going to have a chance to dump it before uh, I'm going to have a chance to get rid of my shares. So I am in trouble. And that's where this delightful game of cat and mouse, well, I wouldn't say cat and mouse, but a delightful game of brinkmanship kind of comes from. And are you going to drive a company to the ground? Are you going to run it well? Most people are probably going to drive into the ground <laughs> and then later on maybe try to swoop in and pick up the uh, the remains later on. Uh, but it, it's an incredible, incredible little game that is, again, it looks complicated on the surface, but it isn't. It is not complicated at all. There are little rules and the private companies can kind of confuse you. And I'd say the most complicated part of the game is the initial auction, because just like other games with auctions, it's very difficult to figure out what things are worth until you play the game a little bit. And I still don't really understand what things are worth, and I kind of go off of a, a mix of just personal preference and also some things I've read online with regard to what's a fair price for some of these companies to sell for and what isn't. But in general, I think if you can find a group of people that enjoy a game like this, and my advice is, even though it's out of print, there are other ones. All Aboard Games is uh, reprinting or publishing a bunch of these 18xxs. 18 Chesapeake, uh, here is a good introduction. GMT sells 1846, um, and there are uh, several other ones. Um, but if you can find a group that, are, that has an interest in this, and specifically people that are more interested in meteor, thinkier games... And, uh, and aren't afraid to sit down for a while and focus on something that will grab you. And that's my promise. These games will grab you. Then this is a good candidate for them. And that's how I always like to sell games like Civ as well. Because people get freaked out when they hear, oh, it's like an 8-12 hour game. No, 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 no. It can be long. But I'm telling you. And I'm not, I'm not going to blow smoke. It can slow down by the end, depending on what, how well you're doing. But if you have the patience and the group that can sit down and tolerate this stuff, 
give it a shot and you will not be disappointed. And like I say, I just wish somebody had introduced 1830 to me earlier and I've had it sitting on my shelf for... <sighs> I probably had it sitting on the shelf for five years before I got to actually sit down and play it properly, which is one of the biggest shames <laughs> in, my, in my board gaming life that a game like this was just, you know allowed to languish when it's just unparalleled in terms of strategy and depth and uh, entertainment value. That said, I have heard from other people that it can get a little pre-programmed or a little old, depending on uh, how often you play it and the people you play it with. And that's why I'm excited for a couple other games that are coming out. There's, I believe, 1822, which is set in England that has uh, randomized privates and uh, this weird little second map with smaller companies, the privates that are doing things. I've got 1849 on the way, Sicilian Railways, which again has some randomized privates, but it's supposed to be a fairly a medium-length game uh, with some interesting mechanics. 1861's on the way, uh, 1867's on the way. It's going to be a good year for uh, 18xx's, I think. And I think this, if they're going to break through, this is going to be the time to do it. So that's a quick little roundup of some quarantine games that I've managed to get done. And hopefully... I can get some more stuff for you next time. There's way more to talk about. Uh, Innis, Cyclades, Bios, High Frontier. I've been playing some Death Stranding, which I think, spoiler alert, is incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, but there's more to talk about. So hopefully I can get another show out next week. Things are crazy right now. And recording from home is kind of annoying. And uh, one of the main reasons I was able to actually record a show this week is because I just got a new microphone that uh, it may not sound like it, but it's way, way better than before. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting back on this horse because it's about time. So thank you for listening and stay safe and stay healthy. Bye bye.